Hello, and welcome to The Two View, the cutting-edge educational show for PAs and nurse practitioners in emergency medicine and urgent care. My name is Martha Roberts, and I am a nurse practitioner practicing in the ER and teaching as an assistant professor in Northern California. I'm with my co-host today. Mike, how are you? I'm great, Martha. I am Mike Sharma. I am a practicing emergency medicine and urgent care PA in Dallas, Texas, and adjunct professor of PA studies. Well, welcome to this month's episode where we talk about some of the hottest topics in emergency medicine. And if you want to learn more, remember every article we talk about, every website and everything that we discuss, you can find at at our website, the number two view.fireside.fm. That's right. The number two view, the word view.fireside.fm. Martha, I didn't want to jinx it because I just started last month, but I feel like I can talk about it now. The new emergency medicine position I started with is with UT Southwestern Medical Center, and I'm working at the historic Parkland Hospital, Dallas's county hospital, thought of by some as the busiest emergency department in the country. Thanks to the teams there for making my transition very smooth and making a guy like me feel very welcome. I do miss my colleagues at Envision and Medical City. I'm wearing our our native uh, ceremonial garb, the North Face half a zip uh, pull down here with Envision logo on it. So big shout outs to you. Thank you for everything these past three years. I hope our paths cross again very soon. Very nice, Mike. Well, welcome to County Hospital Emergency Medicine. <laughs> it's It's been some of the most rewarding medicine I practice in in my career. I've worked in a few and I hope it works out for you. Big announcement from the rest of us, as far as courses go, we are hosting two original boot camps this year, both in Las Vegas. Here are the dates and times before we get into the episode of the show. They are July 2023, the 25th through the 28th at Caesars. And then the same year, 2023 here, December 12th through the 15th, again at Caesars in Las Vegas. I'm super excited to be returning to Caesars Palace. It is just a classic Vegas hotel. Here's something to sweeten the pot to use some gaming slang. Maroon 5 is playing in Las Vegas on the last night of the July boot camp. And Garth Brooks is playing on two nights of the December boot camp. So whether you're a little bit country or a little bit rock and roll, there is something for everyone. If you're on the fence about coming, get off the fence, start making plans. Now you don't want to be looking back and saying, ah, gosh, maybe next year. (laughs) Totally agree. In addition to the fun, there's some additional opportunities for learning. We have a pre-conference course on procedures. We also have one on pharmacology. We also have one on ultrasound. So check out the Center for Medical Education website. And for more information, you can always go to www.ccme.org. So second big announcement, there are early bird rates for our emergency medicine and acute care courses. So go ahead, take a look. April, May, June will be all over the place. We've got New Orleans, Las Vegas, Hilton Head, Nashville, San Diego, and New York City. This is the perfect time to box off the dates. So come on, come hang out with us. Like we hang. That's what we do. The days are 50% workshop, 50% free time, and 0% PowerPoint. We are getting into the newest EM and urgent care literature to answer practice-changing questions. Those dates and rates can be found at ccme.org. 
I think this is it, Martha. I think it's the first year that I come to one of these courses live. I've listened to a couple remote, uh, kind of like, you know, pre-recorded, listen to later. They've always, I, I really have changed my practice after listening to some of those sessions. And I'm, I'm eager to be there uh, in person, hopefully at one of those cool locations. Or maybe I'm hoping for Key West, frankly, in, in the wintertime. That's that's really my 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 uh, my jewel there, the brass ring I'm going for. Well, hey, it's time for our first segment, the wet read. This is where Martha and I get 60 quick seconds to talk about something that caught our eye. I'm up first. Let's talk COVID-19 treatment options. Molnupiravir was already a third place finisher in the uh, National Institutes of Health COVID-19 treatment guidelines to oral nirmatrelvir, ritonavir, trade name Paxlovid, and IV remdesivir, trade name Vecluri. Those were one and two in the rankings as far as what you should give. The initial studies supporting Molnupiravir's use were on unvaccinated patients, which is kind of a rarity nowadays. Now the results of the panoramic study are out. This is a large randomized controlled trial of vaccinated patients, 55 years and above or 18 and above with significant comorbidities. Now, if you're a glasses half empty kind of person, this study was a bummer. It failed to show any improvement in the study's primary endpoints of molnupiravir preventing hospitalization or death in these patients considered to be high risk. If you were a glasses half full person, hey, good news. A secondary endpoint of time to symptom improvement did suggest a reduction in duration of symptoms in that same population from 15 days to nine days. However, that was a secondary endpoint of the study. Keep an eye out for more from the big panoramic group. They're also doing a similar study on Paxlovid. Yeah, Mike. So in my response to this is basically, yeah, okay. Let's let's see what happens next month. You know, it's yeah, I like, know every month is, is something new. I feel like I say just just keep as up to date as you possibly can and do what you want with that information that we provide. My 60 seconds here. Well, I couldn't not ask or tell you about this the last couple of times we talked, you know, these coding changes and you know what? We found this 2023 EM coding changes calculator. So hot right now. By now, you've probably had to do a half a dozen modules or Zoom calls about these new 2023 billing changes for emergency medical services. These changes are supposed to simplify our documentation and better capture what it is we do as emergency clinicians. Do they actually do that? Well, maybe. There's still some confusion about how much different aspects of this new documentation method actually matter. Thankfully, now there's an app for that, right? So you know how much I love these medical app talks. I give one at our course. I'm going to have to add this for our July course. We know and love MD Calc for its other medical calculations. You know why we love it? Because it cites the reference, it cites the literature, it cites the maker, yeah. all of those things. So now there's one for these 2023 emergency medicine coding changes. This has been as helpful as anything else when it comes down to understanding what goes into billing. It's called, get this, 2023 Emergency Medicine Coding Guide in MD Calc. So by the end of this recording, you can just search for 2023 in MD Calc, and it's probably the only result that's going to come up there for you. It's definitely worth checking out. In a future episode, we may go through more detail about these billing changes and how to best capture the hard work that you do. 
yeah, I found myself kind of struggling initially with these coding changes. I felt like I was spending even more time with documentation than I used to, um, but I really do like this coding calculator. It helps me understand where maybe um, it would just take me extra work to document some of these things and it wouldn't necessarily improve any sort of billing, nor would it as importantly affect um, the continuity of care, just as important as the billing. Um, so yeah, I think it's worth playing around with that. It really helped me understand um, you know, where I can save some time in documentation, something we're all shooting for, for sure. Well, our next segment is dry scan, where we penetrate a little deeper into two other topics. Here's a common scenario. EMS calls and says they're on their way to your ED with a suspected overdose patient who seems to be having problems keeping their oxygen sets up. No problem. Naloxone to the rescue. Except EMS says this patient isn't perking up after multiple rounds of naloxone. It's time to consider a new street drug nicknamed Trank and no potential ways to recognize and treat a patient with a suspected Trank overdose. Xylazine is a non-opioid veterinary tranquilizer. It's a central alpha-2 adrenergic receptor agonist, chemically very similar to clonidine. Street names include Trank, Sleep Cut, Philly Dope, and Zombie Drug. While the exact national scope of overdose deaths involving xylazine is unknown because lots of labs just don't yet routinely test for it, research shows xylazine-related overdose deaths are increasing. One, just one example, from 2015 to 2020, just five years, the percentage of all drug overdose deaths involving xylazine in the state of Pennsylvania increased from 2% to 26%. Case reports suggest people exposed to xylazine often knowingly or unknowingly used it in combination with other drugs, particularly illicit fentanyl. It's cheap and easy to obtain, so it can be added to other drugs to increase profit margins, and it can also increase the length of you know, euphoric effects of other recreational drugs. Xylazine is a central nervous system depressant, so that leads to things like severe drowsiness and even amnesia. By itself, it actually doesn't cause the decreased respiratory rate or drive you'll see with opioids. But what it can do is just sedate you so severely that things like becoming hypoxic from occluding your own airway don't trigger you to wake up like you might normally. Right now, the only treatments for a xylazine overdose are supportive. Your A's and B's are keys here. Keep the airway open. Consider the recovery position, airway adjuncts, and even intubation and breathe for the patient, ventilating the patient as needed, monitor them as they recover, which can take several hours depending on the severity of the overdose. If there is a decreased respiratory rate, consider naloxone as xylazine can be combined with opioids, but don't overdo it as you could put somebody into opioid withdrawal without improving their xylazine overdose. We have a bunch of great links for more info about xylazine, including warnings from the FDA and the DEA, a great video from a guy named Joseph DeRazio. He is an emergency physician and toxicologist from Philadelphia, where the drug supply has been described as saturated with xylazine. The video has many examples of the large necrotic ulcers that can form in people who repeatedly use xylazine and treating xylazine withdrawal, which can be quite severe. As always, they can be found at twoview.fireside.fm. That's the number twoview.fireside.fm. I think 
uh, Jim Roberts have a field day with this one. It's a, a tox guy. He'd love this guy, Joseph Durazio, Martha. First of all, I know him. Second of all, <laughs> <clears throat> what I can tell you is good old Kensington Avenue. You know, these Pennsylvania is a big state. Yo, it is a big state. That percentage of increase in these overdoses in the trank is coming from Kensington Avenue. It is the new skid row. I You didn't even mention the New York Times article with the that key. Was, I, we have a link. It's 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 at that website. Yeah, it's terrible. And I had some key words from that article that were simply I, I was making some notes. You know, Mike and I make notes before the show. And the notes that I was making from reading this article in the New York Times was, you know, these these terms like um, just the smell of death, black escar skin, body bags. Um, You know, these people that are living. With this drug, I, I I take a long pause because it's so incredibly awful. I mean, there are no words to describe if you have a minute. Read that New York Times article. I know they're often long and arduous to get to, um, through, excuse me, but they, man, this one made me really, really, really sad. So it struck me as well. Yeah. You had people who were kind of like the one person I think was choosing whether she had, we, sh- whether she should inject into her necrotic dying stump of a limb or inject somewhere else and kind of like trying to figure out what to do that she could get to the withdrawal, but also not damage yourself further. Like it was, yeah, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. Read the article. It's, it's something else. Anyway, moving on to something else, I'm going to bring up FPL injuries. You know, everybody thinks that they aren't going to miss the tendon injury, but you know what? We miss them all the time and we're going to be better about it. And that's what this next segment is about. I want to talk about a short case study about a patient who got a bad rap in the ED. And I have a couple of lessons that come from this case. And I think it's a good reminder. First, when this patient came into the ER, he was labeled by bias. And second, when the resident missed a crucial injury, we kind of scoffed at him and said, you know what? There's nothing really wrong with him. This is the story of the FPL the flexor pollicis longus. So a 38-year-old Spanish-speaking male had a laceration at the base of his thumb of his dominant hand about one hour prior to arrival. He said it happened at work and he could not move his thumb anymore. When the nurse signed him in, she wrote a few things down on the chart and they originally were pretty problematic and caused some issues. First of all, his chief complaint was labeled in the computer on the tracking board as can't move thumb. That is not a chief complaint laceration, thumb pain. I mean, there could have been so many better options here. Already, this patient has kind of a weird chief complaint, right? Because we surf the board. The patient sat for a few hours in the waiting room. Then he was brought back. When he came, it was change of shift for everybody. So I had asked about the patient. He said, oh, well, you know, the patient's being a big baby. He's not moving his thumb. He didn't cut his hand that bad. Already bias has been set. An NP heard this, another one that I was working with. Hey, just sew that guy up, get him out of here. We got 50 in the waiting room. Okay, fine. But when the oncoming NP, in addition to me that came on, we talked about this case. She noticed it was not really moving. He was not being a baby. Something was wrong. This NP suspected an FPL injury. And I agreed. Plastics resident was called. The plastics resident said, I came down. I couldn't see the FPL. 
So let me check with the attending. That's the issue right there, people. It's when you cannot see it. That means it's completely severed. Remember, when tendons are severed, they shrink distally and proximally and snap back. And in this case, the FPL, it is the only muscle that flexes the interphalangeal joint of the thumb and a single tendon that lengthens distally in the thumb, which makes it vital for activities that require hand gripping and pinching. The FPL also flexes the thumb at the metacarpophalangeal joint and contributes to the flexion of the wrist. Needless to say, if you look and review the anatomy, if you miss this injury, especially in the dominant hand, we're really, really screwing up, okay? You sever this and you lose full flexion of your thumb. Not good. So what do we do with these patients in the ER when you recognize the FPL injury? Well, these often need some sort of surgery of the tendon. Don't just close them up and send them on their way without any sort of clear follow-up. If you have some sort of a plastics or hand service, like some sort of resident intern fellow run team, give them a call, explain what's going on with this laceration. Uh, make sure you Make sure you understand which hand is the dominant hand. They'll always want to know which hand is the dominant hand. This and this guy, it was the dominant hand. Um, sometimes hand specialists will fix this in the ED. Sometimes same day. Uh, sometimes not. But this is at least a case in which you could call a hand surgeon and say, "Hey, um, maybe you can't come in today." but this is somebody I need to have close follow-up on. I need to get him an appointment. I need you to see him in the next 24 to 48. I, I can't have him walk out here without knowing what his follow-up is going to be. He needs to be on those books. Now, when I worked in a small town, tendon repair taught to me by hand surgeons in the past, I have done those. I've followed up with those patients and they do well. But I'm telling you, hand surgeon, doctor, plastic specialist, they go to school for like 500 years, okay? I know PG-32s, okay? PGY-32s that are still trying to get through school. Do not discount the importance of a hand plastic specialist. They don't go to school literally for eight to 10 years for nothing. They are the specialist. Talk to your doctors. They do a really good job. Don't be cavalier here. These are important injuries not to miss. If you are at a facility that does not have these gods of a doctor, you may close, but repair should be done within one to seven days. It depends on the level of disruption. Be sure to get that hand x-ray for completeness, tetanus shot, and consider antibiotics depending on the type or onset of injury. Keep in mind, delayed repair of tendons or misdiagnosis may result in complete loss of function, loss of thumb, infection, patients with particularly divided tendons fared no better than those tendons that were completely divided, right? So we care about those partial tendon tears too. And in the end, end-to-end repair is actually needed and sometimes serial casting is done. Whew. So a lot for just one little tiny tendon, the FPL, tiny but mighty, I may make t-shirts. I would buy that bumper sticker for sure. Let's also talk literature. In a retrospected study in the Journal of Hand Surgery, 80% of patients with FPL injuries also had neurovascular injuries. Uh, so uh, direct end-to-end repairs within that pulley system of the FPL do at least as well as delayed tendon reconstruction and do not require additional procedures. So see what your hand service wants to do or what your consultant wants you to do in the ED couple of lessons here. The FPL is pretty cool. And in any tendon injury, if you can't see the tendon in the area where you're supposed to see it, 
be sure to consider full severance of the tendon. On top of that, the bias that followed this patient was horrific. The patient really could not physically move his thumb. He was not being a baby and finally fully anesthetized the area, get an x-ray. Remember, these are even worse in kids and dominant hands. And don't be afraid to call the gods of plastic surgery. Um, if you need a hand. And yes, pun is intended here. Oh, I get that. That's a, that's a dad joke. It's not a mom joke. It's a dad joke. Okay. Yeah, that's the joke about uh, emergency medicine slash the truth is like you get sued three times, right? If you're in emergency medicine long enough, you get you get sued for number one, a missed MI. Number two, it's for a hand complaint. And number three, uh, you know, dealer's choice, kind of the random one. So yeah, hands are full of liability. I'm very careful about hands. And I love the, the anatomy review of the FPL. So thank you so much for that. Well, lastly, this is our oral contrast segment where we get into all the nooks and crannies of a topic. In this case, we're getting into the nooks and crannies of hemorrhoids. And I think I just threw up a little in my mouth. So Martha, get us started while I rinse. <laughs> to treat or not to treat hemorrhoids in the ER, what is the answer? We're going to talk about a few types of presentations and approaches. I feel there are a few ways to tackle this issue, and it really, truly depends on a lot of things. For those of you, one out of four Americans, and uh, forgive me, uh, international listeners, I don't have your stats, that have a hemorrhoid, let's get down to business here. These are extraordinarily painful sometimes, uh, and the pain and swelling of a hemorrhoid can be excruciating. There are some go-to points we can cite to you that are evidence-based, we're all about that here, and tried and true for the patient who's going to, frankly, suffer for the next few days with this hemorrhoid. I think we need to back it up a little bit. Let's start with a patient that has blood in their stool and rectal pain. The key here is to ask all of the important questions, just a couple of them that may ask about the consistency, consistency, the type, the amount, and the and the blood that's occurring in their stool. Often patients with hemorrhoids will say they have bright red blood that splatters a bit in the toilet and coats the stool. It's not in the stool. Or when they wipe, there is a mass-like thing around their anus or rectum that they have a piece of toilet paper stuck there. And truly, for those that have never had a hemorrhoid, and this is their first time, it's pretty scary. They may even try to rub it off, right? Because they think maybe it's a piece of stool. Some patients really just don't know what's going on. So the best thing you can do is look at it, right? And that requires a room and some privacy, which isn't always easy for you to get, but still the physical exam prevails here. Note, we all know that dark red blood, tar-like bloody stools, or history of a GI bleed, or those on blood thinners, of course, we investigate further. But this really sounds like uh, a hemorrhoid. Yeah, we can go ahead and take a look for the hemorrhoid, and bottom line, pun intended, we'll see it. You are, you are really full of these today. I really appreciate that. I, I'm a dad joke connoisseur and, and hats off to you here for sure. Uh, you know, so now you've looked and you, you don't see any sort of fissures or anything else weird. You found a hemorrhoid. That's our diagnosis you've made. There's a couple of options here, depending on presentation. First of all, if it's a smaller hemorrhoid and it's not engorged, like full of blood or a thrombus, then, you know, simple over the counter and a few prescriptions have been proven to be helpful. So you have kind of a little bit of a broad uh, array of, of, of treatment options here. If the hemorrhoid is very large and thrombosed, then incision can be performed. 
Let's go worst case first. Uh, per the American Family Physician magazine slash journal in an article from 2002, uh, links are in the show notes, of course, acutely swollen and tender thrombosed external hemorrhoids can be surgically removed during the first 72 hours of onset. After 72 hours, the discomfort of the procedure often exceeds the relief provided by the surgery. So people with thrombosed hemorrhoids that are coming in outside of the window should be left alone for the specialists. Really want to take caution to doing these procedures in the ED because they're very bloody and messy. You can have a ton of complications. I, you know, I, when I was in PA school, I was, you know, one of our instructors who taught about these was like, Oh yeah, I do this all the time. And, and a lot of me and my buddies looked at each other and were like, I, I don't know about that. I don't feel super good about doing that. Yeah, you got to be really careful with these. Even the astute, most experienced clinicians with these can be fooled. Um, And who knows how long this person has actually had this hemorrhoid for. Um, I think it's important really to just do a good exam. And there are some topicals and other treatments you can do. We'll talk about those in a minute. The brief summary from the AFP article cited is that basically recognizing training and experience is key to these. Patient with that has a thrombosed external hemorrhoid, they're usually going to have a ton of pain, okay? And they're going to want an answer right away. The problem is, is if these have been ongoing, they really need to be done by colorectal or general surgeon. And if you're going to do this, you have to do it correctly. It's very specific. You have to get an elliptical incision over the site of the thrombus. You have to dig out the clot And you really have to make sure that you take caution to make sure that you're avoiding cutting into the muscle sphincter below the hemorrhoid vessels. Infections after suture closure, which sometimes we do sort of this figure eight closure on these hemorrhoids, which again, we're we're throwing a lot of things at you here, but this is good um, uh, material for you to look up a little bit later to see if it's something you want to add to your repertoire here. But basically, everybody thinks, ah, I'm going to open this. There's going to be poop there. I'm going to sew it up and it's going to get infected. Actually, no, that's actually quite rare. Um, It's not going to happen if you do it correctly. But the problem is it's such a rich network of vessels that bleeding can occur. And it's painful as all hell. So stool softeners have to be prescribed if you're going ahead with this. You need to make sure that you do the procedure by the book and training and experience in general, and any skin surgery is necessary before anyone attempts this. So don't just be cavalier about this. Don't just watch one YouTube video and say, I can excise and drain a thrombose hemorrhoid. Sure. Look, we all know that excision and drainage is kind of basically those two things, but it is an art. And again, I am praying to the gods of general surgery and colorectal surgery here. I'd want them to help me out. Yeah, a thrombosed hemorrhoid is not your standard run-of-the-mill abscess. So I, even though you know the, uh, it looks like the same procedure. It definitely is a different kind of a thing. Martha, I'm going to put you on the spot later on. I want to get you ready as far as your your go-to stool softener here. So so keep, think about that, mull it over, and I'll quiz you later on. See what you think. See if you match up with me. A the trip to a- Mexico. That that's. Exactly. Yeah. Taco Tuesday is my favorite one. It's delicious. <laughs> the, the AFP also goes over the entire procedure because, you know, this can be done in an office or an ER, 
by a skilled clinician. Uh, a clinician with some sort of proper surgical skills can master this procedure. But um, again, some sort of training, you're going to want to see one, uh, maybe see a couple before doing one, before attempting this procedure unsupervised. The bleeding that occurs during this procedure can kind of get out of hand if you're not ready to deal with it. And so um, you're going to want to know come up of plan A's and B's and C's to deal with this bleeding. Don't let the patient get ahead of you. Be ahead of this bleeding and already have your, your first couple of plays here thought out before you start to cut. Yeah. The complications of the procedure should be very well respected, including bleeding and other things here. And patients can always be referred. You know, it doesn't have to be you. They can be referred to more experienced clinicians if there's, uh, you know, either the comfort level of you or the patient or your experience are kind of lacking. In the end, the basic skills are not unlike some sort of like excisional biopsy that maybe you did in school, some sort of a fusiform excision. So that's kind of like the general um, technique, but the real skill is handling when this goes sideways, whether it's from bleeding or other things. Yeah. So, you know, uh, sometimes hemorrhoids are minor and it's not a big deal. And so in that case, what are we doing? There's a lot of great literature and proven case studies of patients who do really great with a sitz bath. And let's just define that for those that don't know. Basically, that's putting six to 12 inches of water as hot as you can stand it without burning your skin in the tub. Add some Epsom salts and wash, wash, wash. Gentle massage to the hemorrhoid may be helpful, but this is the key. And, you know, Mike, it's interesting because we don't like to tell patients like specifically like weird things to do. And this is a weird thing to do. But what I would say is, yes, you may massage your hemorrhoid. It's just like so much. I don't even know, but it is a lot. So be professional about it, but you may massage your hemorrhoid, but you don't want them to shove that back in. And I'll tell you why, because when that hemorrhoid is ready to go back in, it will begin to shrink and it'll get sucked back in there on its own. In fact, I look at sometimes people standing in the grocery store and they're like, la, 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 I'm fine. And all of a sudden they make this face like, Meh. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if they just sucked a hemorrhoid back in. There's a face that goes along with this particular suckage. So I will tell you, yes, massage it. Don't push it back into the anus. The other thing that you can do are these two creams. Okay. First of all, don't do one, but do two. And I hate lazy people. Do both of them. What's the big deal? You're already writing one. You might as well write two. It's Proctosol. It's great. It's a cream. It comes in a cream and a rectal bullet. So tell them to put a large dollop of cream on the hemorrhoid itself first. Okay. Put that cream on there. This is of course, after they clean the area with warm soapy water or take their bath. After they've applied the topical cream to the area, they can use a little bit of a tux pad if they want. You know, maybe they have done that before they've applied the cream, but basically we want the cream to stick around. That's what we want to do. So if they want to use the tux pad, probably best wash tux pad, which is witch hazel. We'll talk about in a minute, Proctosol cream. And then because the area is nice and lubricated here, then they can insert the bullet, right? The bullet of Proctosol is great because it stays up there and it begins to melt. It releases the medication around the rectum in the anus and the hemorrhoid over the next few hours. 
in case you're not uh, familiar with that medication, Proctifome, or looking for the generic, so this is a combination of hydrocortisone, of course, a steroid, and then Promoxine, which is a topical um, pain reliever. So you get both of those things in one medication, and it's that's what they need back there. They need to be have things shrinking, shrinking. That's the word, shrinking, shrinking. They need to have shrink it up. shrinkage. Shrinkage is what this uh, will, will provide them, and then the Promoxine will give some pain relief. Of course, this is messy business. So for the ladies, they can wear menstrual pads. Men, they can make sure they wear briefs for comfort, and then uh, these warm, hot soaks. The other thing that can help is some positioning. So laying on their stomach or lifting their legs if they're on their back, and that can help relieve some of the pressure as well to the hemorrhoid. Um, also, it's kind of warning them, hey, this is probably not a one and done thing. You're probably going to get more of these and perhaps um, trying to prevent is better than curing down the road. And there's ways you can do that too, as far as prevention. We'll talk about that kind of shortly. All right. So. Mike, I got to tell you, these patients are in a lot of pain. The question is always, what do I give them for pain? Motrin Tylenol in combination at the same time is great. Opioids are not your friend for hemorrhoids. They're going to cause you to be more constipated. So try to avoid them. Is a single dose of a Percocet in the ER going to stop up your patient and make the hemorrhoid worse? No, but it, it really does help with the pain. So if you do the colace or another stool softener, that's great. The other thing that I really like is that good old Elsevier and Science Direct gave me some information about witch hazel. Witch hazel has a lot of anti-inflammatory properties. You can take a look at some of the studies that we put in the show notes. Essentially, witch hazel is great if you use it appropriately. You don't need to take a bath in it. You just need to dab it, keep it on the hemorrhoids, and then put on your cortisone or your proctosol. Now, a few years back, I did actually do a show with Jim, uh, my dad, and we went on MRAP and we talked about how to tape a butt to a bed. So this is actually a classic procedure go-to technique that was coined and I wish was trademarked by Jim, but essentially taping the butt to the bed to actually excise and drain these things um, when they're really bad is a really, really great skill. If you'd like to see how we did that and look at some uh, fun that we have with Stuart Swandron and Mel Herbert, take a look at MRAP and we will show you how to do that. I still kind of laugh a little bit when I think that one of my greatest information pieces from my father, the best information he gave me came about how to taping a butt to a bed, Mike. Hmm. Yeah, I believe it. Right, right <laughs> after um, looking both ways before you cross a street and uh, using your blinkers is, yeah, is taping butts to beds. Right. So lastly, I'd like to tell everybody to remember that itching and puritis to the area of the anal entrance is essentially a little bit concerning. Symptoms of anal cancer include bleeding, pain, discomfort, itching, discharge from the anus or a lump near the anus. And sometimes people confuse their general symptoms of anal cancer with symptoms of hemorrhoids. So don't delay this if you're concerned. Really referral out is important with all of the related cases to the HPV virus, both in the throat and in the anus. We need to be extra cautious and easy. Just uh, remind you, please follow up to all patients is super important. And of course, make sure that they have that stool softener. 
liquid stools for a couple of days because, you know, the hemorrhoid. We want to do that. Okay, so it's time, Martha. Uh, what would you go with as far as your favorite stool software telling the patient? I'll go first just to not put you on the spot too bad. I would probably roll with the Miralax just because it's over the counter. They can always get more if they run out. Uh, it's tasteless. They can mix it in their favorite liquid and they could dose it several times a day, kind of titrating to effect. Uh, Miralax, uh, I believe, is some sort of polyethylene glycol um, in terms of the generic, but Miralax is the, the trade. It's a often a white bottle with a purple cap and uh, been super helpful um, in our family. And I won't even go in further into that there. That's that's something for another day to talk about here. How about you, Martha? What's your favorite stool softener? Oh, you know, no one's ever asked me that, Mike. I don't even know. I told you I was going <laughs> to ask you. I tried to get you ready for this question. So, you know, sometimes Mike and I talk about things that I'm just kind of like later after the show, I'm like, that's the first time anybody's ever asked me that. And <laughs> I'm okay with it. I think the thing is, is that Coley's is my favorite. I think in the literature, it's proven to be one of the most effective. However, it's not effective if you don't drink water. So if you don't mm. drink water to allow uh, the med to do its work, then you're pretty much blank out of luck so this is a family show so uh, that, that would have been on theme right there we should have just made sure we put the explicit tag on this podcast and we could just go ahead and just keep <laughs> <up water. laughs> all right well um that was great i'm so glad we talked about hemorrhoids I'm, I'm glad we didn't just collapse in a fit of laughter at any point here i was really waiting for you to use the phrase we had in our script several times uh sucked back into the anus you just never said that actual <laughs> phrase and I was waiting. I was waiting for it to happen. It never came. I'm kind of disappointed. So I'm happy to go ahead and. and well, and let's make sure we get that audio bit in there so we can use it for future. So the most important thing, you have to put the pointy tip in the butt first. Oh, OK, wow. Here we so go. when when you put the pointy tip of the suppository into the butt, it gets sucked back into the anus. And there you go. Treatment will prevail. This this podcast episode is everything. It's everything I wanted here. Okay. Well, folks. Oh, boy. I, you would not believe the number of people who have written in to request the return of the Something Sweet segment. This is definitely a, a big change from hemorrhoids to Something Sweet. Uh, you know, you wouldn't believe how many folks have written in to request the return. Uh, you probably would actually. It's, it's zero, but we're bringing it back anyway, so I don't care. Uh, I keep threatening to read the reviews that you leave for us, so let's do that. First, I'm going to read the first ever review that we got this is January 28th, 2021 from mm. Warrior Nurse 13. Probably not their um, name on the birth certificate, but we'll roll with it. Um, Warrior Nurse 13 said, easy to stay caught up. Enjoyed the first episode. Appreciate the updates. Saves me from combing through monthly magazines. Looking forward to future content five stars. I hope you're still listening. Warrior Nurse 13, we salute you. Thank you for starting off our first review. And here's to our most recent review. That's the one from Big Barteco. Quote, great podcast, practical content, phenomenal delivery, five stars. Let's talk about reviews for a second. I swear you used to be able to review Google Podcasts but that feature has gone away. And on Spotify, you can only rate us between one and five stars. So go ahead and do that. If you hit the three dots button and pick a star rating, that's Spotify. Apple Podcasts, it's the one place where you can leave a review. 
please let us know. We'll do better. Or we'll keep doing well, like either one, you know, like maybe we're just maybe we're doing really good already. But like seriously, guys, let's drop some big star power on these reviews. Take some screenshots showing that you left a review. Shoot it to us at our email address. It is always twoviewcast at gmail.com. That's the number twoviewcast at gmail.com. Tell us who you want to give a shout out to and we'll do it. And who knows if we're feeling frisky. Maybe everyone who has written for trivia has blown it that month. Maybe we slide you the prize for the month. That's twoviewcast at gmail.com. Speaking of trivia, it's time for our two-view trivia answer, Martha. Oh, boy. So first we have uh, last month's two-part trivia question. One of our first segments was about Buffalo Bills player Damar Hamlin. What was the first jersey number that the Bills retired and who wore it the last before it was retired? And the correct answer was from Mateo Alanis. Mateo's. Oh, sorry. Say it again. Alanis. Oh, Lord. I'm the worst. Mateo, I'm really sorry. Look, I'll send you an extra a hug. I don't don't know. I'm like really (laughs) low on the financial aspect these days. Um. So <laughs> Mateo says, I'm a family med doc practicing in urgent care. First, I would like to say to you both, you do a great job and I enjoy listening to your content. I believe the answer to the trivia question is Jim Kelly, who wore number 12. And Mateo, that is 100% correct. Congratulations. And I'm sorry, I did not say your name correctly. I hate when people call me Margaret. So maybe you had it right and I had it wrong. We did not get the pronunciation guide for this episode that was not forwarded to us, unfortunately. So Mateo wanted us to give a shout out to his kids. Oh, come on. To Junior, Amory, and Cristiano for being my motivation to be the best dad and doctor I can be. That's awesome. I know Martha and I feel the same way about our kids. Great job, Junior, Amory, and Cristiano. Now, go clean your rooms. Do it. (laughs) Here's our two-part trivia question for this episode. We talked about which Hazel in our hemorrhoid segment which Hazel has nothing to do with witches. I am as shocked as you are. The question is this, from which, which, get it, from which language does the witch part of which Hazel originate? And what was the meaning of the word in that language? Email us your two-part answer in addition to anyone else you'd like to give a shout out to, as well as any feedback or comments from our episode to this email address. The number two viewcast at gmail.com. That's the number two viewcast at gmail.com. More information on the original and advanced emergency medicine boot camps, the emergency medicine and acute care course, or any of our courses are available at the Center for Medical Education website. That's www.ccme.org, www.ccme.org. Don't forget to take a look at some of our courses. We've got a lot of things coming at you. Like we mentioned, everything from Las Vegas to Hilton Head or San Diego for emergency medicine and acute care courses. We'd love, absolutely love to have you there. I would love to see that too. Yes, I'd love to see you there. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Two of You. As we said, we're on Apple iTunes Podcast, Google Podcast, 
and Spotify. Search for Two View Emergency. That's the number Two View Emergency, and it will come right up. If you like YouTube, you want to see the video blog, you want to see this fetching North Face half zip waffle top that I'm wearing, you want to see this headband, this fetching flower headband that Martha has put around her ring mount for her um, video here. Search for Center for Medical Education on YouTube, and you can catch the video version. Don't forget our website where you can go next level on any of our topics. We have so many supporting documents and even videos today of everything we talked about. No hemorrhoid videos. Don't make it weird. But anyways, everything else, it's up there. Um, any of our episodes, any of our topics today, including all the papers and sites, that's twoview.fireside.fm. Our audio and video engineers are Ricky Bucata and Dave Pett. Show notes are by Meg Dipple. Thank you again for tuning in, friends in EM. Share this podcast with a friend. Share your thoughts via email. And thanks again for sharing your time with us today at The Two View. Have a good day and a great shift. Sucked up into the anus. <laughs> Bow, 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 bow. <laughs>